The Limey and the Yank are gonna rock your day All the way from England to the USA The great song they made from yesterday and today The Limey and the Yank are gonna rock your way Spreading the love, spreading the joy With the music we play I told Zoom to go live to restream. That's awesome. All right. It does say happening now. Hi, so, Zoom. I'm glad we're live. That means people may even be listening to us. What do you they think? They just might. <laughs> Depends what we have to say and how good we say it and whether it gains your interest, right? Yep. That's awesome. Are we ready to begin? Yeah, let's start the show. Hi, everybody. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Lime in the Yang show. We have missed you. It's been over a month since we've done any live streaming or any programming. And now that we're all coming back to normal and taking our masks off, even though this guy may want to keep his mask on, I don't know, be safer for everybody. But anyway, welcome back and maybe a great summer for everybody too. There's a lot to look forward to. Anyway, our program today is... Fuzzy, buzzy, funny sounds. Yep, I got my summer haircut, which I guess means I got a little bit buzzed. You just for those of you who didn't see it uh, earlier this morning, Steve, our stylist, gave me the summer cut, which is great because I was growing out that quarantine buzz that I did back in November. <laughs> Boy, and it got long too, buddy. Yeah, but you know what? I need to take a moment and say thanks to Robbie Adcock because he's one of our listeners who came up with the idea for this show about a year ago. Robbie, thanks. He gave us some great material to work with, and we love the idea. This show was really intense on the research to get a lot of the details, but we're going to share with you some of the technical stuff in normal terms behind the sounds that you really like in your favorite songs. And giving us the feedback, pick that favorite sound it doesn't matter how it's invented, uh, how what they did to make that sound. And there's so many different sounds, be apart from guitars, drums, and, you know, that's it. But all those different sounds and the one that really moves you, that, like, stimulates those little hairs on your neck and you don't understand because, all right, you don't have to demonstrate. <laughs> Got no hairs on your neck. But anything that moves you, and we'll find out how we do it, which I think is really interesting to see how people record. And we've got a bunch of different ways, don't we, buddy? Yeah, exactly. So I'll, I'll start with the biggie because this is super duper nerdy, and that's the Phil Spector Wall of Sound. It became popular in the 60s. When you hear stuff that sounds like it's in a big open area or you're in like an, an echoey cave, that was kind of, you could think of it as a precursor to the idea of surround audio because Phil Spector, he's credited with it, but he worked with uh, an engineer named Larry Levine and a bunch of other session musicians to kind of put the whole idea together. The idea, though, was that he wanted to capture the music as if you were in the room with the band. And so to do that, he put multiple microphones in different parts of the room but he'd also catch that sound of reverb in the big space. And so he might even use multiple instances of the same instrument, like a wall of sound recording session. You might have two or three drum kits playing at the same time, two or three pianos to create a fuller sound by literally filling the space with instruments and music. 
That is so wonderful. And I am a huge fan of Phil, Phil Spector. And you know, you know how he got that sound to come back in the way that he wanted it to? It was um, actually Gold Star Studios in LA. That's how we got it. And the sounds were fed into speakers inside, like a special construction room with the mics in the room. And so when they fed all that live sound, it went directly into this booth, hit it and came right back at you. And that's the sound that he captured that made it so deep and made it the wall of sound, right? So yeah, he would do the big recording, then play it in a room and record that playback inside that room to create that sound. The weird thing about it is, I said it's kind of like a precursor to surround audio in the theaters, but it also kind of isn't because he didn't like stereo. He preferred to do all of that in mono. That's right. And he loved the orchestras he brought in, he brought strings in, he brought harps. And he created that unique sound that everybody loves even today. You know, we go back to it, you know. And talking about, like, can we have a little bit of Phil Spector, like a little taste? To- yeah, I've got a really good representative sample of it. Before I do, I'll mention, if you were doing a Phil Spector recording session, chances are you were going to be showing up early and you might be rehearsing for hours while he's getting the mics just right and having you play a certain way before you actually started recording. So it was this really probably painful process, but it was designed so that it would come out sounding in that unique way. So here's an example. This is Bob B. Socks and the Blue Jeans doing their cover of Zippity Doodah. <laughs> zippity doo da, zippity a. Here we go. He also recorded the song My Sweet Lord with George Harrison. And the interesting thing about it is the official audio version starts out with this really close-in kind of sound and then widens out into the Phil Spector echoey sound. I've got a sample of that. Before I do, I'm going to mention one other thing to make it even crazier. Spector also did layering, which means taking multiple recordings of the same exact performance and placing them atop each other so that the sound would be more homogenous, which meant that, you know, if you played it perfectly this way, except for a couple of minor little flaws, and then you played it perfectly this way, but with different minor flaws, when you lay them on top of each other, the best part of the sound goes through and the tiny little flaws get covered over by the fact that that sound is layered, real weird, but... So let, I'm going to play a little bit of My Sweet Lord, and you'll hear what I mean about how the sound opens up, because I've picked just that spot. I love it. There we go.
love it. One of my favorite tunes of all time, buddy. But I know exactly what you're saying and how you're telling the audience how it actually works and how they develop that sound. But the, the slapback echo, which they use throughout, and he was one of them too. Elvis Presley was, um, which I'd love, love you to play if you can pull it up, his latest playing, but refers on delayed effort to a short delay time of 100 megaseconds. So they bring it back 100 megaseconds and then they go right into it. And it's that delay. I don't know. It's like the effect is unbelievable. It's yes. like multi-tracking. It just moves you so much. That's a thing called flanging. And I'll talk about that in a moment. But before I do, because you mentioned Elvis, I'll tell you a little story about Elvis that relates to this. It's called flanging. We'll get to that. We'll come back to that. Heartbreak Hotel sounded a lot more spatial because it was a bigger studio than Elvis was used to working at at Sun Records. So the funny story about this is that um, Heartbreak Hotel, the, let's see, where's the studio? I don't have the name here. Ah, RCA Victor's studio was the big time, whereas Sun Records was a smaller shop where Elvis kind of came up and about. So RCA Victor was used to laying down the law and setting the rules. And they didn't want their singers to move around while they sang. Because if you look at a microphone, you have to hit the microphone's pickup at a, a certain sweet spot. And if you're facing the other way or shifting a little, you're what they call off axis. So it doesn't quite catch the sound the perfect way as if you stayed here. So a lot of RCA Victor recording sessions, the engineer would say, you stay here, you sing exactly here, you're exactly this far away from the mic and you don't deviate. Well, Elvis couldn't do that. He's a bundle of energy. The man is lightning in a bottle. So the producer got so frustrated at the fact that Elvis was all over the place singing and having a good time that he put an X on the floor and he said, you stand there, do not move. And you know what? That did not work. <laughs> that did not work. So what ended up happening was the engineer got frustrated and said, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to mic the studio in such a way. I'm going to go ahead. We're going to take a break. I'm going to put the mics in, in so that I'll catch your voice, even if you're off axis on this particular mic. And he still couldn't quite get the sound that Sun Records could get because what they didn't know is that Sam Phillips, Sun Records founder, used to use a flanging technique that we're going to talk about in a moment underneath is like a backing track for Elvis's recordings that fixed that off-axis problem and made him sound really good. You know what? Pardon me for interrupting. He made a lot of different techniques at Sun Records. And, and you know, he didn't go with the corporate way, like you said, with RCA. RCA. This, this is, is how we do it. it. And, and this is the way. Forget that. I want to do it the way I used to do it. And this is how we did it. And you may call them mistakes, but the just ingenuity, man, with Sam, Sam Phillips. Like I said, with the, um, the slapback. That's, that's that's what he developed. developed. What, what he was was, was ego. Running, running the tape through a second recording head. That's what they did with Elvis, Heartbreak Hotel, and all that thing. Mystery, yeah, mystery train too. Um, and it was that unique sound. And if you don't know how to do it, I don't care how much equipment you've got, baby. 
you ain't going to do it. Well, you can kind of, I can't blame RCA Victor when you're thinking of the fact that this is an engineer whose job is to get the best possible sound onto a recording tape. Because tape, we'll talk about how tape was a big deal in the 60s. It changed a lot. But he's trying to get everything just right. And he doesn't need Elvis to be dancing. I can understand that frustration just because when I do voiceover, if I'm doing an audio book, where I am in relation to the microphone is very important and it makes a difference. I get that. But yeah, it's kind of funny because Elvis is not going to be, I'm putting a lot of emotion in this while not moving my body. Let's play a little bit of Heartbreak Hotel so they yeah. can hear that kind of spatial sound. Yeah. Here you go. Here's a little bit just so you understand what we're talking about. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of Lonely Street, that Heartbreak Hotel where I'll be. I'll be just lonely, baby. Well, I'm so lonely. I'll be just lonely. I could die. Although it's always crowded, you still can find some room for broken hearted lovers to cry there in the gloom. I'll be so, I'll be so lonely, baby. I'll be so lonely. Just so deep and dark and such a wonderful. But that's it, when you get that rawness and you bring in certain. It's hard to duplicate, man. How do you do it, you know? I love how the bass reverberates in that recording, that low end. I love the way that sounds in that open space. It's kind of cool. Oh, but you want to talk about flanging? Because we'll, we'll, we'll get into that now. There's a fun Beatles story in it. So what Steve was talking about is, and I apologize if I'm doing a lot more of this than he is. It's because I wrote a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> yeah. you know? It's okay. He can he can wing it better than I can. It's all right, buddy. Give me a break. But yeah, the idea behind it was that you'd have a reel-to-reel tape, and you'd have two reel-to-reel players, and you would feed in two recordings, and just like Steve said, it would be just a few milliseconds back. You know, this recording would be just a few milliseconds behind that recording, and as a result, it would create this weird sound because you're hearing the same sound on a slight time delay at the same time, it would create this kind of spatial effect in your ears. Your ears would think of like if it had moved through the room, but it only moved a tiny bit. And one of the things they would do that was really weird about that is to make that sound kind of rise and fall. They just move those tapes back and forth a little. And there's a story in here. The craziest early example of this was a studio engineer named George Chicans putting two reel-to-reel tape recorders together, feeding tape from each recorder to the other recorder, and then wedging a screwdriver between the two to make more of an uphill or downhill sound as the two tape feeds moved closer or further away from each other. And I know it's hard to imagine that, so I've got a specific sample so you can hear what I mean. The song by the Doobie Brothers, Listen to the Music. Listen to this music and see how it, it moves spatially. I love it. It's awesome.
That's a great example there, buddy. And there's, and there's other songs like that from your favorite groups, which you didn't know that's what it was called, flanging. I guess it, what it is, is identical signals, one delayed and the smaller one slowing down. So you get both those signals or sounds, you yeah. slow one down and you, you delay the it. When you stretch one out, up or down. And then you get the phase or the feedback that signals inverted. So it's inverting itself and coming right back at you. And, and for some reason, I love that sound. Whenever I hear it in a song, and of course, one of my all-time favorite groups was the Small Faces uh, with Ichiku Park. That's another prime example of Ichiku Park and the Small Faces. They did the same both from both sides of the Atlantic. They both did the same thing. And Steve, oh, I've got a sample for you. I got one set up for you so we can share that with our listeners. Let's hear it. Cool. Here you go. Ichiku Park, you can hear the same kind of spatialized thing. They couldn't play this on the BBC because it had naughty stuff in it. It is a really addictive sound when I hear that because I feel like the, the whole band is like flying over my head and then they're coming back down the ground. <laughs> Les Paul figured this thing out in the 1940s when he was playing around with recording. He's the one who figured out how to do this. But some of you who know the Beatles are familiar with George Martin, who was the engineer who did some amazing, crazy experimental stuff with the Beatles. So the story we have is that George Martin used the term flanging. And John Lennon repeated that back, causing the term to catch on. But specifically, Martin was explaining to John Lennon, he said, this is a quote I got from a little bit of research. George Martin says, now listen, it's very simple. We take the original image and we split it through a double vibricated sloshing flange with double negative feedback. So from then on, John Lennon was, would ask for that sound in recording by calling it Ken's flanger. Give us some of Ken's flanger on that. <laughs> and almost every single song on the album Revolver uses this technique. That's what it was that made the unique sign of Revolver, which is one of my all-time favorite. Hey kids, time to go for now. But don't forget, you can always find us on Facebook, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter. And you can stop by our YouTube channel, where we've put playlists together of all of the episodes and the seasons. So you can let those roll and have a lot of fun reliving your memories with the original, full versions of the songs. We also have the website, thelimeyandtheyank.com, where you can go download MP3s of your favorite songs from Amazon. We really appreciate you listening to the show. And the most important thing to us is please keep sharing with us your stories, your memories, your favorite songs. Give us feedback. Tell us how we're doing. And please do keep tuning in wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again. 